Hey guys, welcome to She Knows Arsenal. My name is Jessica and I'm your host and you can follow me on Twitter at Ishesinio. You guys are early. There's about 28 of you guys watching already and I couldn't be happier. Thank you guys for showing up. I love it. So just go ahead and go in the chat box and let me know where you guys are watching in from, how you guys are feeling. Did you guys just finish watching the Euros? All those great and wonderful things. On today's stream, what we're going to be talking about is Arsenal's big money summer. We all know that we don't know the exact amount that we have, but I think we know that we have more than what we thought. And it's brought up a lot of very interesting conversations about how we should be building our squad. And we love a good squad building conversation around here. So we're going to go ahead and dive into it. You know, Arsenal is a team that has so many bright young stars. And so we have an abundance of those, but personally, I feel like we need some more proven players to mix in there to make things a little bit even. But you know, we all have different ideas about how to build the squad, and your opinion is just as important as ours. So feel free in the chat box to let us know what you think about what we're talking about and all of those good things. At the end, we will do some questions. And without further ado, I'm going to bring in my panel for today, the people you really came to see. Because you guys keep asking for them to come, which I love. So Harry's here. Hey, Harry. Hey, how's it going? Good. <laughs> Awkward first conversation, but in reality, we've already been speaking. Awesome. Got that done. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to bring in George. Hey, George. Hey, how are you? I'm good. I can't complain. So yeah, you guys in the chat box, say hello to Harry and George. And yeah, so we'll go ahead and get started because we have a lot to go over. So before we get started with, you know, basically, I want to talk about, you know, how we should build for the future and for the present. But just to kind of build things up a little bit, let's talk about a little bit about the magnitude of the summer window. I mean, every single window that we go through, it's like, this is the biggest window. But for some reason, this feels a lot heavier because of, you know, the, the issues that we had throughout the season, knowing that we're not in Europe for the first time like ever, and knowing that we need to get back into Europe. So Harry, I'll start with you. What, like for you, how big is this window? I think it's huge because of all the drama of the European Super League. 
I think it's huge as well because there's a few teams in transition at the moment and it's a good chance for us to kind of perhaps, you know, overtake the likes of Spurs. I know Liverpool are a really superior team, but they're also going through a transition. So it's a good chance for us to kind of close that gap a little bit on the top four. And as we've seen, even though last season was terribly miserable, we were only six points off that fourth place spot. So I think it's a big it's a big window in terms of us making sure that we keep on progressing and I also think for the first time in many years, it feels like there are no departures looming that we'd be really sad about. I think last season we had the Aubameyang contract and maybe not the season before, but it always felt like there was some sort of, you know, who's going to leave Arsenal this year. And it feels like if anyone's going to leave Arsenal, we're not going to be particularly sad to see them go. Obviously, I'll be sad about Granit Xhaka, but the majority of fans will be pretty content. So, yeah, um, I think it's a huge window and a huge opportunity to close the top four. What do you think, George? Yeah, I think um, this window is kind of... We do this as fans, though. I, I say this this window in particular, but every year it's always like the summer brings the hopeful optimists out and we're allowed to be the hopeful optimists in, in this kind of section of the window as well. Um, it's just started, so, you know, no one's been tainted by any weird stories that's been confirmed. Right now it's all, you know, butterflies and rainbows because the possibilities are endless. Um, but in terms of, I think, Arsenal, I, I think we've gone through some of the positive indicators that make at least for us as fans looking in, because that's all we can do, but seem quite positive that this window is different for us, particularly in, in how we conduct our own business. So while we are optimistic on just a general transfer front, I really think that the moves we've made to date should give a lot of optimism in terms of how we're going to conduct ourselves in the window, you know, how we walked away from the Buendia deal how we've already shaved off 700,000 pounds a week, kind of, sorry, off the wage bill. It's, um, it's positive, and they're different to what we've normally done, how we've already put bids in, big bids, not just, you know, small bids, you know, um, for players that maybe not are in everybody's order of priority, but nonetheless good, great players, um, domestic recruits. Like, these are some really big things that you know I think um, we're drawing at least a little bit of more optimism than normal on which I think is good because you know you need to look for these things um, when you're evaluating a transfer window that you're only ever going to be two degrees of freedom um, close to so yeah I'm always optimistic but I think there's reason to yeah I definitely feel like there's something there that I can see and you can see and a lot of people can see but I think others just have so much anxiety, which makes sense because of past windows and feeling like we missed out on things. So it's not that that's not valid. It's just I feel some people want you to validate their anxiety like within you. And I just don't have that, you know, but if you have anxiety, I completely understand. And I think a really good example of why you may have anxiety is about maybe even just the last window that just passed. You know, it was a window that was looked at as quite successful. And we saw that as the season went on, not having Thomas party there after spending big on him. And then really the failure of William kind of, you know, took the wind out of our sails, like very quickly after the window closed, you know, but I think there were others like missteps last summer in the window, you know, not addressing a key area like creative midfield, I think is one of them. Can you guys think of any other, you know, things that we may have missed out on last summer that may have contributed to the bad season that we had? 
Yeah, early business. Um, like I said, we've already cleared 700,000 pounds a week from the get-go, as well as three foreign spots, three foreign playing spots out the window. Like last summer, our business seemed to uh, trudge along where we did not see these early moves. We did not see what seemed to be an ethos of business. You know, I, I actually would have feared that if somebody told us we have to pay, we would have paid the odds no matter what. Whereas I see an example in the Buendia deal where we clearly have a price, we clearly have a, a kind of reclaiming our authority back. You know, I, I think when I look at Arsenal, part of the anxiety that we have right now is when we're looking up at the top six teams right now and we clearly are wounded. Like when you're looking through the teams right now in terms of our perceived perception globally, but also just in the Premier League, like the amount of times I've heard we are eighth, George, it's getting annoying. Um, I hear you. But um, when you hear those things, right, like we are a wounded animal. And I felt that we acted like one last summer. What I mean by that is that I felt that we were giving into demands as opposed to setting them. I felt as though that we were making excuses as opposed to executing a plan. And I see a lot more purpose in this window and this early intent that, you know, is quite stark to how we performed last window, not just in terms of your Willians, in terms of your profiles, but how we want to conduct business and how we want to be viewed in the greater football fraternity. Because last summer it was always, you know, yeah, we don't have a lot of money and then we'll spend at the end. Whereas, no, this window, look, lads, we're, bid, we're, we're bidding for Ben White, 45 million pounds right now. And that's a confirmed kind of bid. And that's happened a week and a half into the window. And I'm just like, that's not Arsenal. I'm kind of nervous because I haven't seen this. But you know what? Change is like this, guys. So I think we need to uh, get comfortable being uncomfortable and, um, you know, recognize that these are good moves. These are good things because I know we haven't always felt it, but you're allowed to smile when you see some of these things. So, yeah, I think that's been a big difference. And, you know, there's like there were some really obvious things that we needed to do that didn't get done, like removing Mustafi and all of them, and we were able to get them out in January. But then there was some... You guys, I hate my life. <laughs> so I unplugged the phone so it won't ring, but then it then it starts telling me it has low battery. What's going on? Can you guys hear that? That was so annoying. But um, there were some obvious ones like Mustafi and Kolasinek and, and those guys. We were able to get them out in January, you know, but then there were some not so obvious ones, you know, and I feel like once they become obvious, it's almost like too late. And now it's becoming more obvious, like your Ainsley Maitland Niles depending on, you know, how you feel about the situation, maybe a bombing in hindsight. Harry, how do you feel about, like, the, the club's inability last summer to identify maybe opportunities to move on players that weren't obviously needing to go? And do you think that we'll be able to figure that out this summer? Because I think there's some other ones, like, you know, your Willicks or Reese Nelsons or whatever that we could probably use now to you know move on but maybe we'll keep for just in case we saw that just in case didn't really work out for us this past summer yeah I mean it's hard I don't want to accuse the board or accuse Edu of you know not doing their job when it comes to selling players I think we have to appreciate that there's many parts to making a deal happen and just because we want to sell a player you know firstly they have to want to go they have to find a club that you know they're going to want to join and some players, whether we like it or not, they view football as a job. And if they're on good money and they're living in London and they enjoy telling people that they're part of Arsenal, they might want to stay a little bit longer. So 
whilst there's some players like Mustafi, Kolasinac, Socrates, and even we go through to Nelson and Ketia, Ainsley, Maitland-Niles, we couldn't sell them. But we also don't know, you know, if they wanted to leave, they might say, oh, yeah, we want to go out and play football. But if Ainsley, Maitland-Niles was kind of, you know, thinking, oh, do I want to go to Wolves? I'm not sure. I'll stick around for a little bit longer. And Arteta's like, well, Bellerin's a little bit uncertain. Cedric, we're not sure about him. So, you know, I'll keep you in the fold. And Ainsley, Maitland-Niles did play the first couple of games and it turns out that he kind of fizzled it out. But, um I agree we have to be a little bit more ruthless this year, but then it depends on how big our pot is and how much it depends on outgoings contributing to what we can spend. So if we can uh, extend the contract of Inketia and Ainsley Maitland-Niles and loan them out for again and they go and have a couple of a good season elsewhere and their value increases and we can afford to do that, then I'm not going to be too upset about it. In the same token, if we get five, ten million from them, I'm not going to say, oh, we could have got more. You know, it's one of those things where you just, you just have to wait to see what happens. And before we accuse the board of being inactive or Edu of not doing his job properly, I think there's so many things to consider when a player, a young player who's played at Arsenal since maybe 9, 10, 11, has to suddenly move his whole life to a different city, especially at a young age, their most sociable age. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's important that we clear up the future or we clarify the future of those players. But if that means they stay to loan or, or, or we sell to, to cash in and you know, spend it elsewhere, then either way, I just think we have to wait and see. So I think we all kind of have different ideas about how we should be maneuvering, but I think we all have the same, like, we need to be smarter. That's, I think, one thing that all Arsenal fans can say is, like, can we be smarter? But we have different ideas of what smarter looks like. You know, there's some fans that feel like we need to be going down the Leicester model. You know, we need to be trying to figure out how to spend as little as possible on, you know, up and coming talent and then, you know, just bring them through the ranks and do a slower type rebuild. I have my apprehensions about the Leicester model and if it would work for a club like Arsenal, because the, the expectation of Arsenal is so much greater. Nobody expects Leicester to win the league, but I think they will find it difficult to really compete at the highest level, similar to almost Dortmund in a way in the Bundesliga, how it's always just kind of them and Bayern, but they don't ever have that last couple of piece, like maybe one or two pieces to really get it over the line. And I don't see Leicester doing that either because those kind of assets cost a lot of money. They usually sell those assets onto the Chelsea's and, and these guys, you know, but what do you guys think about Arsenal fans that, you know, feel like we should be mimicking Leicester when for me, we really can't because we're Arsenal Football Club. Like, it's different. Go on, George. You can go. You take this one. You take this yeah. one, buddy. This is yours. This is <laughs> thanks, yours. thanks for that bombshell. Yeah, you know what, Ken? Oh. I, have a lot to, I have a lot to say on the Leicester um, promo because I think half of it is marred by past um, dealings. I think your view of what you deem Leicester to be great at is because you know, you view it because they were smart in the past and we were dumb in the past. And I don't think that you're looking at it with the same objectivity. You know, the great, um, uh, you know, the great thing about Leicester was supposedly that they sign the young talent, they do the prime age player, they do the data and they do everything great. But then I see a Bertrand move. And, you know, when we were linked with Bertram, it was, oh my gosh, we're, we're doing it again. Um, I think with the Leicester thing, like everything, you need things in moderation, right? So in terms of a transfer approach, very generally, it's a good motto to have to recruit strong data, to recruit strong, um, you know, prime age players, to recruit to a profile. Yeah, these are all things that I would, you know, check mark. But I, I don't consider one to the opposite end of the spectrum as the way to go for a broad 
view, right? I, I think one thing that you can actually take from these links that I actually don't think are quite Leicester, and I think that we're very good is, you know, we're recruiting within the league, but experienced youngsters. So in a Leicester model, what I find is we're going to go for links, but those links are potentially just young data stars, like your Lukungas. But what I see in Ben White and in James Madison, for example, those are youngsters, but they're experienced, if you know what I mean. They, they've been in the league for two or three years, and that is a big club move. That is something where, you know, it's not just data, it's not just profile, but we're going in and we're picking a experienced youngster that we think can take the next step, not just kind of mining for the next best thing. And that's what I believe an Arsenal should do, not necessarily a Leicester. Jess, why are you smiling? Why are you smiling? Because when he said young and experienced, like this is so bad, but like the first thing I thought about was the Aaliyah song. Oh, AJ no. none but a none. It just popped up and my mind just started going. I'm sorry. Forget about me. Great point. Ignore oh, me. Gosh. <laughs> but also, just, just quickly on Leicester. I mean, obviously what they've done is remarkable in terms of winning the league. And since winning the league, they've, they've won the FA Cup most recently. But otherwise, I mean, I think, I don't think we're aiming to be Leicester. I think we're, if we're aiming to be Leicester, I think our fa- there'll be a lot of fans who are just as disgruntled and just as, as unhappy because ultimately, you know, they're on the fringes of, of top four for the past couple of years. And after winning the league, they finished, I think, ninth or eighth. So I think for us, it's, it's about, you know, just signing better players and whoever that model is assigned to. I think every team's ambition is to sign better players. And for some, it works and some, it doesn't. I think maybe like Yo-Yo just mentioned, you know, a team like Liverpool, we can kind of take uh, take rewarding in terms of, you know, it, it was a subtle rise and they managed to do it. And when they did, you know, reach the top, they were winning the league or winning the Champions League. So I think that should be the aim is signing players who can take us to that next level and our next level whether it's jumping a few levels should be Champions League football and challenging for the league again so I think it's like um Shaw just said it's about signing young players but signing the right players and I know what Leicester have done is remarkable but they're, they're really crazy examples when you go and get Amaros and you go and get a Kante and they just do that we're talking like Vieira and Henri's back in the day that doesn't right. happen every doesn't happen every season you know they're really hard to come by I can't think of that many players who have had that impact for that amount of money um there's very few of it so oh uh, yeah I'll tell you what, mate, I'll make you a little video and I can send it to you at the end I'll just pretend uh yeah so I think Leicester obviously done really really well in in their you know in their kind of environment and and in the with their limitations, but I think we should be looking to do things beyond that. And I know that might seem a little bit arrogant, or like I'm trying to trying to you know jump ahead of ourselves. But ultimately, we finished sixth place off off top four last season. So with a few good signings and a few more, why can't we break into top four next season? And in two three years, why can't we be challenging for the top? I think that you know that's what I want these these windows to bring is not fifth and fourth place football. It's it's Champions League football and then challenging for the league. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is I still think we we think Leicester has created something original, but they haven't. Like, they're basically who we were from 2006 to 2010. You know, like a team that got this these young talents and brought them up and ultimately sold them to the teams that won the league. You know, that's that's what they did. And they always kind of miss they're missing out on top four. And it's 
it's very similar to how we used to keep missing out on winning the league. It's very similar. It's just the league is now a little bit more difficult. So now instead of having to just compete with one or two teams, they're competing with four or five, six, but it's, it's all the same thing. You guys, they're not doing anything special. The reality is, is that Arsenal, we have bigger expectations. And although I think we can take little pieces of what they've done and, you know, try to implement that, you know, that's great. But we need to aim higher than that because last time I checked, Arsenal was supposed to be challenging for leagues and, and things like that, not fourth place and missing out in FA Cups and stuff like that. But that's just me, you know. But let us know in the chat box what you think. If you feel like it's Leicester's model is perfectly fine, I do think we need to be more similar to Liverpool over the last couple of years. You know, I think that's that's definitely the aim. But you know, we like you already said, people want us to be smarter. That makes a lot of sense. Some think we need to be focusing on a three or four year rebuild and let our young talent shine like Saka and ESR and Saliba and Martinelli and others like me kind of feel like prime age proven players it will help us close the gap a little bit quicker. And based on what we've kind of seen so far in the links, and I know nothing is done, but we're still going to go with it. You know, the, the reliable links that we've had, it seems like we might be addressing the present and the future at the same time. So let's just start off with the future. Just, you know, just to start off with, because I think a lot of Arsenal fans feel like what we're looking like we're about to do doesn't have anything to do with our young players thriving and becoming stars of Arsenal. And I think it's actually the exact opposite. So let's talk about steps that we've taken to kind of secure our future. George, what, what things have you seen from Adu and Arteta since they've kind of been in charge that have let you believe that, like, yeah, they're trying to protect and, and solidify us for the next couple of years? Well, it's it's funny you say that I just recorded a youth philosophy pod uh, that just dwells into a ton of these changes that we've really seen since 2018 that have set us up for kind of a reproducible blueprint. You know, I, I don't think it's been given the kind of limelight that it really deserves because look, when you, when you look at transfers, look, we can kind of look at them where Lukanga makes sense. I like it. That's clearly something for the future. It's a smart move. But I think when you look at structure changes, this is what gives fans a little bit more of a calming nature because when I identify with structure, I identify with future success. So let's talk about it. I mean, when you look at the youth structure, since 2018, we've, we've produced an arsenal way of playing. You've heard uh, Per Murdersacker use the term strong young gunners, but what does that mean? It's about creating a vision for the club that we believe everybody should play with throughout the academy. And he's introduced that philosophy and instilled it and not only that he's now recruited people that can carry that out when you look at some of our appointments at the u16 level through dan nietzsche you look at ken gillard you look at him joining now the loan managerial step in terms of with ben naper and ken what that shows me is we've now got a coach who had a great season with the u18s have paired him together with our loan manager to now try to get the best loans for our youngsters that's it's the most planning I've seen at the club since really ever. I've not seen that. That's a structure change where you're now saying, listen, it's not just that I want the loans to have people interview for them, which by the way, was an excellent process last season to begin with. You know, you look at Dan Ballard, Willock, Saliba, we have examples of phenomenal loans, but when you pair this move now to an already great kind of, you know, process with having a coach that has coached these youngsters, you now just align the perfect myriad of, okay, we've got an analyst approach, but now we're combining that with the coaching mentality to see them succeed. And 
it, for me, I look towards those things about the present and future because there's structure changes that I can point to. Look, we're going to get cases wrong. Every transfer doesn't work out, right? We can use the data approach, but there's tons of examples of things not working out despite it being a great plan. But the key for me is, is that plan logical? Did we have a plan where we can now reproduce this in another seasons and hopefully find success? Because if you individualize transfers, I think you missed the bigger picture. It's totally a case of looking too close where you're not seeing the larger context. And so when you look at those changes, by the way, the Dan Michis, who, by the way, came from, you know, uh, lower level domestic leagues and came from the English FA. He was a U16 coach for the English FA for three years before he came to Arsenal. You know, you look at, you know, your Ken Gillard and even the rumored academy coach in the U23, which is Kevin Betsy. He's shock shock has come from the FA. He is a U U18 coach with, you know, England. And so when I start to see these things from us, I think these are smart moves. These are structure changes. And for me, you have to build a strong structure in order to see a good house, right? Like there's no, there's no sense in buying your cabinets first without addressing, you know, kind of your, your plumbing or, you know, your, elect your, your electricity, you know, it's just, I feel as though transfers are that cabinetry, the, the accessories to a great club, whereas the structure is what makes people great. So when you look at even your Leicester, people wanted the Leicester scout. You know, it wasn't just that they made good names. They wanted the strategy. So who was in charge of that? And I see us doing those things. And that's what gets me excited about the present and the future, because it's not just making smart moves in terms of a big club. But by employing these FA youth coaches, you're now solidifying this generation that's coming through to supply our future. And we can't turn a blind eye to the contracts, you know, those those contracts for our young players that to me, that just shows like those things weren't happening before. Harry, do you think that's a really good step in us trying to solidify, you know, our our future? It has to be right. Yeah, it has to be because we saw so many times before that we were almost held ransom when we had these great players, you know, who had these massive offers because essentially we didn't renew their contracts soon enough or they weren't on the right amount of money or we weren't even successful enough or competitive enough to, to keep them here. So I think it's it's obviously early steps in this process, but I think it's a really positive thing that Arteta's identified how important these players are. And that he's also stuck by them. There's been a few games when Emil Smith-Rowe, you know, and Saka would kind of drift in and out, but... Arteta persisted with them. You know, he he kept faith in them. The the rise of Saka has been wonderful under Arteta in terms of the various positions that he's played and his overall games developed tremendously. I don't think I ever saw, you know, a central midfielder in Saka before, but there was a few games when he played central midfield and obviously left wing back, right wing, left wing. So I think it's great that Arteta has identified how important these players are. Uh, but as you mentioned, Jess, it's important that we build uh, a team uh, with not just young players, but the right players around them. So I suppose, like George said, everything's been kind of set in place from an infrastructure perspective. And now hopefully we can, you know, see the rewards come. And in, in the next few windows, we see these big signings coming and our our youngsters continue to progress. And we get more, you know, young players in the squad and actually featuring because it feels like we're very very limited in that area. We have so many bright youngsters and they never really make the grade and then they just seem to, you know, go somewhere else for such a small fee. So we've seen so many players now go out on loan, um, you know, to, to make their value rise because I think it's important that if these players aren't going to be at Arsenal, they have a future elsewhere. But obviously, you know, clubs pay pay for their future elsewhere, whereas before we would just see all these players leave for absolutely nothing. So I think there's lots to be positive about that. And I think it's great that Arteta's 
kind of identified that the young players can definitely help us uh, be challenging again. 100%. And I keep like, for everybody who's so like, well, what Ben White doesn't make sense. James Madison doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense. For all of that anxiety, you have confirmation in the fact that we are steps away from signing Lakanga. And that is definitely not the type of wasteful or scary or risky signing that all of us are afraid of because of, you know, our Pepe's and even Thomas Party to a certain extent because his first, you know, season didn't go as well as, as we hoped. You know, but Lakanga being a very bright prospect on the fringes of the Belgian national team like regen of Thomas party. So we have like for like in our midfield and somebody who, if they play 15 games next season, you know, appearances, their, their value skyrockets the minute that their, their foot touches the Emirates, you know, pitch. If you have any anxiety about the other ones, I would say take some, you know, some, some comfort in that. Cause to me, that feels like something that the club should be doing. And it feels very similar to what we tried to do with Guendouzi, but we didn't have the right facilities and environment to make that really work out. And I think it might be better now with Lakanga. Do you guys kind of agree with that, that, you know, Lakanga is a really good sign of what's to come in terms of us trying to, you know, look at the future or look at the present, but also secure the future. I mean, this is somebody who, even if he doesn't stay at Arsenal, we could sell him for like three times as much, you know? Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's always smart, but I just struggle with this with fans because I feel like we've been doing this for a long time. Like, let, let's go through our U23 core. I mean, Gabrielle Tierney, who's due a new contract, right? Saliba, Martinelli, these were all foreign pickups in the last couple of years. Like, I don't think this is new. So this idea that we don't do it, I really think is overblown. And quite frankly, it's annoying because I feel that we've done it for quite many years. It's just the other moves, the experienced moves haven't panned out. We've been wasteful in the other end of the department. It hasn't been our youthful signings that have failed. It's actually been the experienced. And this is why I get really excited, though, because we have targeted youth signings that are experienced now. Um, and Ben White's, your kind of, your Madison's, your 24 prime age players that have done it domestically for the last couple of years, but are ready to take that next step. That is the signing we haven't got right. And so, you know... For me, we're taking the steps to address that. And I think a lot of people actually are kind of missing the idea of when Partey was injured, how did our midfield look? When Louise wasn't able to participate, how did our defense and our ball progression look? Those two signings are absolutely critical to maintaining our style of play. You know, we need those two signings to get, get, to get sorted because while they may not be your perceived order of priority, they did become our priority in terms of our season and where it failed. When it failed is when Partey wasn't in. When it failed is when we couldn't recruit Louise to do progression. That's arguably why we kind of went out of the Villarreal tie, I would argue. So when you're looking at, you know, what actually hurt ourselves in, in the season, it's not just, you know, um, the fact that we're recruiting great profiles, because that's a good planning thing. You know what I mean? That 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 is, you know, a check mark. I think we've been doing it. But the, the gaps in terms of where those profiles are being addressed is crucial for me. So 
Yeah, I think it's all just really positive. And again, you're all you're always going to paint it with the brush that you feel is is good, you know, in yeah. terms of what side of the coin that you're on, whether it's, mm. oh, you know, it's bad that we did this, we're wasting money. Um, it's only because, again, we're dealing with transfers in that second degree of freedom kind of area. You know, we, we're not there with the club. We have to make assumptions. And, you know, if you're an optimist like, you know, myself, mm. you tend to give the club the benefit of the doubt. But again, I think that when you pair these moves together, just to get back to the point, it becomes a plan that you can align with. Whether you're that Leicester fan model, whether you're that Liverpool fan model, we're doing deals in both departments. So it's not lean towards one aspect. And can I just, so, cause GK is saying, what if he doesn't develop all false hopes, you know, and Arsenal are not gonna develop most of these players. We don't actually need more than like two of them to be hits. You know, the reality is, yeah, they're not all gonna make it. But if Lukanga, let's say that he just, doesn't make it we spent 15 on him 20 million on him that if if we lose anything on him it's not as bad as spending money on Pepe and losing 30 to 40 million off of this off of this asset you know we're talking about maybe max 10 million off of this asset even if you look at Guendouzi somebody that we all have our own opinions about but ultimately came in for 8 million and is probably going to leave for relatively the same amount and he's had probably a, like a very rocky arsenal you know career so for me it's like okay Lakanga doesn't work out okay Emil Smith Rowe doesn't work out Martinelli doesn't work out Saka you know and and Gabrielle Tierney we still have other young players that are going to skyrocket in terms of their you know their fees and all that kind of stuff so I think the idea that if it's not 100% a sure like hit that's the only reason why we should get them. Then we wouldn't be getting anybody because every single transfer is a risk, you know, but relative, like if you want the Leicester model, then you have to take risks. And if you want the city model, then you have to spend out of your ass. And for me, it's like, what do you want? Like, which one do you want? You know, because either one has its, its downfalls and it's, you know, it's pros and cons. So I think I we're doing really both though, yes. Like, I think this is Definitely. why I'm so, this is why I'm, I'm happy because I don't think it's towards one specific model. Like, it's not like all of them are Lakunga. And look, I, I get it, GK, you're right. Maybe they don't all develop that way, but we're clearly recruiting Ben White and James Madison who are proven to do it in key positions. So it's not as though um, we're, we're only doing one model. And, you know, we're getting the Lakanga in an area that we have a sure thing, Thomas Partey. So you're not, you know, in terms of the idea of whether it's smart or not, that's what I look towards. And there seems to be a variety in our dealings that, you know, should give a lot of people hope. It isn't just all eggs in one kind of basket of strategy. It seems to be very quite clear, you know, our inexperienced uh, risks, we have sure things in kind of the things that we want proven uh, replacements in, we're getting it. Saliba, let's even go to the Ben White thing. I love Saliba. Everyone knows I made my account based off him, but we're getting a signing based on a sure thing, who's done it in the league there. So when you understand the gaps and where we're buying the sure things and where we're buying the risks, it makes sense. So I would just encourage people to maybe look at that as a broad hole, as opposed to maybe just thinking, well, we can't be sure about every transfer. Because like you said, Jess, it's all a risk. 100%. You guys, there's a hundred of you guys watching right now. Make sure you guys are liking the video and subscribing to the channel. And let's move on to the future or not. What am I saying? We just talked about the future. Let's talk about the present. So I think this is where it gets a little bit sticky because we want 
to believe that there's a long-term vision and all that. We want a long-term rebuild, but we know we desperately need to be back in the top six at the very least next season. I just really feel like, you know, for from our standpoint, we're some of us are okay with a longer-term rebuild. Like, personally, I am. Like, if the club came out and said, you know, we're not stressed out about making top four this next season, we're going to do a slower rebuild, I'd be like, cool. But I know that based on what they've said, based on our finances, based on who Arsenal is, we can't afford to be more than a year outside of Europe. So that means that we have to address the present as well as the future. And I think we are addressing both, as George has already said. But for you guys, what do you think about that? You know, the realism, you know, the realistic aspect of Arsenal needing to push for top four, top six, and that being the reason why we're seeing links to players that have done it before, players that we can rely on, players with proven track records. Yeah, I think it's sensible. And I think it's about time that we've looked internally, as in, you know, the Premier League. Um, Man United used to do it for many years, whether it was Berbatov, whether it was Rio Ferdinand, find these players and, and essentially pay pay over the odds, pay the tax. But you know there's no transition period and you know they're there's a stronger chance of them coming in straight away and, and hitting the ground running. Um, I think we have too many in-between players who are still kind of finding their feet or still offer us some inconsistent performances whilst they adjust to the league, whilst they adjust to the tempo and the demands. Whereas, you know, straight away, Ben White can handle 38 games in the Premier League. You know, James Milden, James Madison has played in the Championship and he's played in the Premier League and he's done really, really well. So I think there's no doubt that these are the players that we need to look at to to improve our squad, to make us more competitive again, as well as looking for those signings like Lukonga, um, who we know we can kind of, you know, rely on perhaps in the future and they can have a, a steady growth, a steady rise, you know, as an understudy to Thomas Party and whatnot. Um, so I think it, sometimes I feel like we're, I change my mind all the time, as you probably know, but sometimes I feel like we're three to six players away from being competitive. And when I'm angry, I'm like, oh my God, we are so far away from the... 20 players. Point. Yeah, I'm like, we need to keep, we need to centre back, we need a right back, we need a back up, left back, <laughs> centre mid, another centre mid, a left winger, we need a new striker. And then I think, wait a minute, if Aubameyang gets his goal scoring boots on again, you know, we're in a much better place. And then I'm thinking, oh, maybe we just need three or four players. So I think in terms of the present, I think a lot of it obviously relies on how big our pot is, but it all also relies on the ambition of the board and the relationship between Arteta and the Cronkies. And Arteta's probably said to them, I imagine, how quickly do you want us to challenge for top four? If you want it this season, let's go and get four, five, six. If you want us to maybe challenge for top four, let's go two or three and just continue to grow and give these youngsters time to you know, an environment to play some games, make some mistakes. But if you want to be really, really ruthless, let's upgrade a Rob Holding to a Ben White. Let's let's get rid of Xhaka. Let's upgrade Granite Xhaka, you know, and, and let's go that way. So I think a lot of it depends on the ambition of the board and obviously the money they the money they want to spend, you know, not the money they have, but the money they want to invest in the club. And I think we have to remind ourselves of, of perspective and also perception. Now, if William Saliba is playing for Brighton, and Ben White is on loan at France from another top four club, we'd all be over William Saliba. 
you know, uh, what a great player, you know, done it in the Premier League. But because it's Ben White and he's English, whether we like it or not, it just feels less exciting. It feels... It's not as know, exotic. It's not as, as, as exotic, <laughs> which is what, probably why we're so down on Rob Holding. But in, this, in, in reality, if we're really judging Gabriel and Rob Holding this season, there is not much difference between the two of them. There really isn't. I know Gabriel won a couple of player month awards, but that's because, once again, it was a new sign and he's a new centre-half. It's a bit like when Thomas Vermaelen came in, I was like, oh my God, Thomas Vermaelen's class, when after he was like, ah, Actually, it's just okay. So, I mean, perception's You're really... with these controversial takes. I know, and I'm, I'm just being wrong. Perception's really important. So I get that Ben White might not be the signing we imagine, but we obviously, we always imagine these signings from abroad, right? Fanta Lemon tastes exactly the same England as it does in Spain. But when you drink it in Spain, you're like, wow, Fanta Lemon is so nice. When you drink Fanta Lemon in England, you're like, oh, Fanta Lemon is all right. It's the same drink. So I think we have to be patient. <laughs> And uh, try not to judge these players uh, just based on their appearance or their name, because ultimately Ben White's a good centre half, which is why he's in the England squad. That's yeah, for sure. Lemon, yeah? You're hilarious. I cannot with that. So <laughs> there was a comment that came in from um, Leaning yeah. T, and I just wanted to make sure that we address it really quick because this was also on my little my little notes right here. I knew this would come up. The difference between you know the players that were linked with and William. You know, wasn't William a sure thing? I'll let George kind of answer it first, but I mean, it's not similar. It's not the same. <laughs> They're completely different. The only thing they share is that they played in the same league, right? Like, let's look at William as a profile. You're recruiting a player who was coming in from a retirement home kind of contract. Let's be real. Let's call it what it is. He was at the end of his career in terms of a prime. You know, there there was a lot of agent led connections there. There clearly seems to be a move away from that. You know. We clearly, whether we like it or not, have to agree that there seemed to be a common agent thread between many of the signings that we made in that period. There seemed to be a much different type of recruitment where even when we got rid of Raul, right, we're looking at the output of, of difference in structure, right? So with Raul, it was very agent-led, and so we saw those things. With the Willian thing, how it's very different from Ben White, how it's very different from James Madison is... Not only are we addressing a gap with, you know, somebody who's not in their prime, who hasn't already done it, and who hasn't come here to kind of relax and take it easy, we're, we're getting players that are hungry. You know, James Madison just missed out on the England squad. If you've ever had a chance to watch that interview, the mentality of this kid is crazy. You know, Ben White just came into the England squad. You're buying prime age players that are not only good with the profiles, right? So already it's different from William because we're not doing a profile analysis there. I don't really know why William made sense on a lot of levels, but remove that from kind of your, your thought process. But look at the age. It's very different in terms of our philosophy and what we're recruiting, right? So in terms of us getting domestic talents and saying it increases adaptation, I think it's it's not just that, it's how they function as part of our system as well. And we need to keep in mind of, do they solve a problem? William didn't solve a problem in so many different ways. Whereas, you know, your Ben White's, your James Madison's, they do on such a great level. So when you're looking at our squad, I think I've told this on past episodes, our age is, I think, 24.6 before the window started. And when you remove somebody like, you know, Louise, our, our squad is really quite young. And the experienced players have let us down. So when you're looking at trying to replace that with that mean average, just to get it up a little bit, with players that are hungry, hungry to improve and hungry to show themselves to the world, 
that's a very different signing than a Willigan who's going to go to Inter Miami probably and just you know drink mimosas and have a good time afterwards after being here for only a year. I think they're very different, and you know we we've done this in the past, and this has been the wrong thing to do. Willian is emblematic of everything what not to do in strategy, whereas Ben White and James Madison are emblematic of the right way to do domestic recruitment. Do you guys think that there's like a um, kind of like an unrealistic expectation of how much players cost in the current market? I think a lot of how we at how we look at transfers are if they're linked with Arsenal and they cost a certain amount, it's going to be a failure. No. And I'm, I just, do you think there's an unrealistic, you know, Harry, what do you think about that? Because when we're talking about Ben White, we all know about the English tax. We know that he's in the England squad that adds a couple more million. He's worth 30, 35 already. Like that is his transfer market value. So to me, 50 million sounds about right that you pay for, you know, a center back, you know, what do you, what do you think? Yeah, it's funny because when we're talking about Ainsley Maitland-Niles and Eddie Nketiah, you know, we're saying we want 20, 25 million for these players who, you know, are essentially uh, squad players at lower level clubs or, uh, and, you know, Ben White started most games for Brighton. He's in the England squad. He's more, he's in form. So naturally that's going to be the fee. It does feel, it does feel quite expensive in terms of, He's not that household name. But like I said, you know, that's more of a perception thing. Um, I think we just have to realise that some of our problems over the past few years have been spending big on players from overseas with with no guarantees. And I know we can quote the Willian signing, you know, which is why it doesn't, doesn't always work out. But I think we're just trying to kind of, you know, limit the possibilities of it not being a successful signing. And I think with spending big on Ben White, on James Madison, you know, you just feel like these signings are more likely to work you know, than they would um, perhaps a, an, another version of a Saliba. But in the same respect, I mean, the James Madison fees, they're pretty big, right? You're talking some big money there. So that I think that does change the remit a little bit. And then you ask yourself, well, you know, is it worth it if we're, if we're talking 60, 70 plus for James Madison? Whilst I'm a fan of the player, uh, I'm, I'm not overly obsessed with him as a as a character. I find him a little bit, I don't know, it just annoys me a little bit, but maybe that's just me. Uh, but then we're talking some big money there, right? You know, 70 plus million for, for James Madison. And I know it seems that Greenwich is out of our reach, but then you wonder, well, can we not just juggle things around to perhaps, you know, going for a, a Jack Greenwich? So um, I think you're right in terms of uh, the transfer fees. I, I don't know why we're, why we're so surprised. I think when we signed Pepe, we were all absolutely delighted, right? And that was... God knows how much it was. And I'm sure hardly any of us had seen him play. I know I, had, I hadn't seen him play at all. But obviously, I was over the moon that we signed Pepe. Uh, so I think Ben White for around 35, 40, 45 million kind of makes sense. Well, Nathan Ake went from Bournemouth last season for 40 million plus add-ons, 45. But this is what I don't understand from fans. And Ben White is an England international before Nathan Ake was. In terms of, you know, your progress... Ben White is farther along in his career than Nathan Ake was, and we're getting him for a similar price in a COVID market from last year. So when you're, when you're, I want people to, I guess, be consistent. I see a lot of inconsistencies in people's evaluations, I think, and, and that comes from, you know, PTAD, I call it post-traumatic arsenal disorder, and that's just because we feared that we are dumb and we're doing dumb things again, not because the deal is actually true, right? So when you do look at these things, I'm going to send um, some interviews for Harry to look at his mentality because James Madison, trust me, mate, 
he's got the mentality, the bit between his teeth. I think what it is with him is he is a bit of a twat in terms of being arrogant, right? But I think that line is towed when you look at somebody who's driven, who's somebody who's kind of failed and, and seen a little bit of failure with this England squad. You know, I like that personally. I like that little bit of edge. I felt like Arsenal, we haven't had that edge in years. You know, I want somebody to take charge. And this project actually needs somebody to say, look, I'm the man. We need a little bit of that, in my opinion, because I don't think we have enough of that personality on the pitch. Now, of course, mm -hmm. you need to manage that. But really, sorry, guys. But, you know, it, I, I like it, really. I, I, re yeah, I, I really I saw, like I saw that interview with Henri. I saw a snippet today of it when he spoke about his trophy cabinet, how he's got a trophy cabinet and referred to Henri as having one of loads of trophies. The only impression I get with James Madison is that he'll just jump ship for... for you know, just, just the, next, the, the next big club. Yeah. So that's the only reason, that's the vibe I get off him. But I don't want to judge him. I'm sure he's a wonderful guy who works incredibly hard and he's no doubt an incredibly talented footballer. Um, I just think about Arteta trying to make us humble again. And I do question if that's the right profile of signing. But I do appreciate that's often the creative players are uh, often the most, you know, exuberant and, and the flashiest. And, and with those free kicks and the silky skills comes this uh, flashy persona. So I'm certainly not going to mm -hmm. criticise it at all. And we just, we need a good mesh of the two. Like we need, and the th it's like, they're 24 years old, you know? So still, if it doesn't work out, I mean, and let's, let's just talk about Lakanga and, and Ben White for just the sake of the fact that they're the ones that we're most seriously linked with. You know, if people want to say like, we're not that, we're no James Madison. Okay. Ben White and Lakanga, two players, 21 years old, 24 years old. If it doesn't work out, you move them on. But when you have, you know, your Williams or you, you know, it's, it's more difficult to move people on that way, you know, and I just think that there's still time to maneuver if things don't go right. And ultimately we just need to, like we've always, always talked about just up the quality of the squad and make sure that when things happen, we don't have to change everything about what we're doing with Rob holding, you know, when he's there, you have to change everything about the way you play out of the back. Like, you know what I mean? It's just, especially because Gabrielle is not, he's not the ball playing center back. He's not. He's, he's not it, you know, so the person next to him has to know what they're doing. You have a Saliba and a Ben White. Ultimately, you can play the ball out of the back, and that's what we need. If something happens to Thomas, we need somebody who can step in that's very similar. That would be like Lakanga. So even with those two additions just there, we're talking about when things happen, because, you know, shit happens at Arsenal, like right off rip. If anything's going to happen, it's going to happen to us. We make sure that we don't have to change everything about what we need to do, and I think that that's important. You know, and it also gives us flexibility in the system. So if you have, you know, three or four quality central midfielders, if your number 10 isn't fit, you can go away to Man City and you can go 4-5-1 or 4-3-3. It gives you that possibility, whereas this season it just felt like the variables were Sabayos or Elneny and, and that was it, you know, and it just didn't work out or Granit Jack going left back or like you say, Rob Holding centre-half. Just to clarify, I wasn't saying Rob Holding is better than Gabriel. I'm just saying from a step back when you compare their seasons, they're kind of similar. But yeah, Jess, I think it's really important that we that we develop, you know, uh, multiple multiple players, you know, who can back up in those positions because we just don't have that. And I'm, I don't want to go... I don't want to go back on last season too much and even criticise the players that we have. But to have a central midfield four of Partey, Xhaka, Tobias and Elneny, I mean, it, it's miles off the required level. Miles off. To think that Danny Tobias was playing such a prominent role in our midfield 
towards the end of last season because, you know, Kiarantini was out and we had to move Granite Xhaka. It's, it's pretty crazy. So I think it's just about raising that standard massively, raising that benchmark and making sure that even if Thomas Partey is our number one central midfielder, knowing that he's got someone young and hungry, ready to take his spot, you know, to push players on. Whereas I don't think many of our players feel that pressure. So I think it's about improving the overall squad. Well, what's really important, too, is like we talked about this on a previous pod, but ball progression, speed of play, these fundamentals about addressing the technical quality in our back line is what is key to stopping Arteta ordering everybody to bring to come back, essentially. That, that is what's happening right now. So, look, I, I used the Nathan Ake example only because that's the going rate. But in terms of the actual on-the-pitch reason, well, it's very clear that our technical quality in the back line is really quite poor. And now with Louise gone, we've missed an orchestrator in build-up. For however much I want Saliba to be that man, I cannot sit here and guarantee that without precedent, that man can do 38 games a season. I simply can't. And the drop-off from a Saliba or a Louise to a holding is what has impeded us this past season. We've seen the effects of doing that. So by addressing that technical quality on the pitch, you improve ball progression, but speed of play through the thirds. And we're going to give the ball to our attackers in more 1v1 situations. I've never felt that the attackers are the issue for the output. I felt that our progression and our ball or kind of technical quality in the middle of the park has, is what has hindered us in terms of our output, because we don't give the ball to our attackers in the most favorable positions. So uh, as opposed to really their output being poor, I think that's the key difference that you have to make. And, you know, maybe it's different for everybody else. But for me, I'm a person who wants a solid spine. So when I look through the, the spine of a team and I look at these moves, they address the central zones. And I think those are the biggest zones of the pitch that really we've struggled in this season. They haven't really been wide. It's been in the center of the pitch. And when you address those zones, I think the knock-on domino effect of that has a greater impact on chance creation than just subbing, oh, we need goals, let's get Carrera, who's got 15 league goals, and X, you know, kind of league. I, I let's think replace Aubameyang. Yes. Mm. I think you can actually liken it to England almost the other night against Scotland, you know, the hesitancy in their play. So by the time Phil Foden got the ball, it was almost too late, too slow by the time it came out to Phil Foden. And then the options, are, the options aren't there. So I think, you know, as, as a as much as I am a fan of Rob Holding, when he has the ball, it's slower. And then if he's passing to someone like Elneny, when Elneny gets the ball, he's hesitant and he doesn't play that forward pass straight away. He waits or he goes sideways to the right back. And then we start again. And by that time, Saka, Pepe, whoever it is, have made two or three runs. The fullbacks got on, they pushed up and then we have to start again. So... I think, you know, it's so important that we look to replace someone like Luis with Ben White. And I think just be excited about Ben White. And if we do sign him, if we do spend over the odds, firstly, who cares? It's not our money. Like, all we do is complain that our board don't invest enough. And when, when we're ready to invest, it's like, what? It's too much money. It makes no sense. Like, it's like it when we're linked. It's like when we're linked and they see the amount, they go checking their account to see if they have enough money to cover it. <laughs> It's like, yeah, it's not honestly, your money, it's fine. It, it, it puzzles me so much. So yeah, if the sign is coming, I just think, you know, get behind and back them and, and hopefully that they help us get back to where we need to be. I think being ruthless is something that we can be really, really positive about. I would have bet my bottom dollar that someone like Granite Jacker would have stayed for the next two or three seasons. I really would have had because... to sell all of your stuff and, and close exactly. down the... Close down, close down the store exactly but it seems that Arteta is just ready to move and he wants to do it quicker than maybe we all imagined and I think we're perhaps taken aback by that and now we're thinking well if we spend 50 on Ben White then that's you know like 60% of our pot maybe it's not maybe it's 20-30% of our pot and maybe the pot is so big maybe like Jess said our, our arse is so big like Man City and we can just go and spend 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 and make it rain 
make it rain, make it pour, you know? But I do think that, like, basically in this show, like, I just wanted us to kind of talk about, like, making sure that we address both at the same time because we actually don't have the luxury of just doing one or the other. It's just not possible with where Arsenal is at this at this moment. So we know that the links are not, like, nobody's standing there in the shirt just yet. But I don't know about you guys, but in the past, we haven't been reliably linked to players that made sense ever in a window. Really, it's always been like relatively silent until the very last week and then panic buys or something like that. So I choose to be a more positive because I know that Thomas Party and Gabrielle was were good moves. And we can't just ignore the good work that they're doing just because we're upset that we were in eighth place. So it's still up in the air. You know, we could come back in a couple of months and be like, wow, we were totally wrong. We just got Ben Arnhold and that's it. But <laughs> I don't think, I don't think that that's what's going to happen, you know, but we can also just, before we get into the questions, just talk about dead wood and, and lifting the weight of the club as well. It's like, yeah, we talk a lot about bringing players in, but this summer is so important for us removing dead wood. And I think that getting rid of certain players, like even Lacazette's being linked with a move away to Monaco, you know, that's, as, as good as Lacazette is and has he was very good for us this season, he's another player that kind of limits us, not just from a play, playing standpoint, but from a wage standpoint, you know. So how important is us, like how important is it for us to kind of rejig the wage structure, making sure we get rid of Deadwood, making sure we sell on players before it's painfully obvious that we need to sell them in order to bring the club to a more like a more healthy position? You know. It's trimming the weeds. You have to do it in your garden, don't we? And and I think we've done it. You know, again, I quote that 710,000 pounds a week constantly because I feel like, you know, a lot of fans aren't recognizing the work that's been done. You know, why am I sitting here so optimistic and smiling the whole time? Because, guys, that's in the bank. That's something that we've already done, forgetting the future of what we could do, right? And so when you start adding a granite shaka sale, which, look, guys, I know everyone's pessimistic. I don't, we don't really count it until they're in the shirt, but that's really well documented to be quite close. And when you look at our, you know, our, our pursuit of Lakunga and Ben White, like these are things that are very far along. They're not just rumor milled, you know, we've got it really confirmed by many people. And so when you are looking at transfer season, which we never can know for sure, but we're looking at two degrees of freedom. We haven't seen these moves in the past until midway through the window till towards the end of the window. Guys, it's, it hasn't even been two weeks yet. So when you're looking at it, I, I've even gone back, I, I've said it before, our biggest window was 11 transactions, right? And since now I can quote, we've done four bids and there's five players that we have strong links to leaving. Granite Shaka, Matteo Guendouzi, Lucas Torreira, you know, Kalasinac. We all have strong links with them. Willian, if you want to go deeper, like we have had credible links to these players leaving. We've had four confirmed bids. That already is nine transactions. And it hasn't even been two weeks of the window. So whether they materialize or not is different. But what you can clearly say is Arsenal are active. And that's not something that you can actually levy at Arsenal for the past five years in the transfer window, to be honest. I think we've been reactive, not proactive. And this is a good thing. I know we haven't seen it before, guys, but this is something to get excited about. Whether we get those moves, I agree. Let's go and sit there and evaluate it towards the end. But when you look at these things, you cannot ignore the clear objective evidence that we've done. And, and I think that's important when, you know, you are feeling anxious because again, the Ben White deal, I believe actually is not about the quality of the player. 
but it's the off the pitch assumptions that it may mean to our budget as a whole. What do I mean by that? Spending 50 million on Ben White means no right back for some fans. 50 million on Ben White means 20 million off your James Madison for some fans. But guys, you know, it could be the other thing where we're just in that bigger pool. And I know it's uncomfortable because we haven't been there, but I think it's time to start realizing where we're at and where the signs are really, because that feels close. I mean, there's money, still... money, money. <laughs> I mean, we're still, there's still people saying like, where's the money coming from? It's coming from the Cronkies plus sales. You guys like they have to spend this money. The reality is they drug us into a European super league because they're desperate to not have to spend money on Arsenal anymore at all in general, you know? So in order for them to get back to that place where money is just circulating because they're getting European money, first of all, fans need to get into the stands, but also we need to be in Europe. And I'm pretty sure that Arteta and Adu have probably let them know that the only way that that's going to happen is if they stick their hand in their pocket. So I don't know how much it is, but the reality is it's reliably reported that we have more than what people think and we're also going to sell players. So, and also you guys have to take into consideration as well. Everything is done in structured payments. Nobody play, pays everything up front. Literally everybody. It's only an issue when Arsenal does it. We're the only ones who it's like, oh, they broke it down in payments. Everything is broken down in payments. Mm-hmm. So even if you have 50 million, you could easily get five players with 50 million by paying 10 million up front. That's how things are structured. That's how things are done. It's 100% natural. And also, you know? they've, they've almost they've cheated on us for five, six years, haven't they? they? They've almost just been so disloyal to us. And we can't leave them and they can't leave us. Well, they don't have to leave us. So right now, they're just going to fine dine us for the next window. They are going to give us the slap-up meals and they are going to spend all that they can to win our love back. And I, I think that's their intentions this summer. I know there's a few fans I've heard say, well, why are we signing Ben White now? Why don't we get you know our other priority signings? But... It doesn't work like that. Um, you know, when the opportunities arise, then, then you have to you have to be quick because for all we know, there could be other clubs interested in Ben White and it wouldn't surprise me if there are and we have to act quickly. And because of the, the landscape this year, because there isn't that, that big, big gap between the end of the season and the Euros, you know, you can't get deals over the line as quickly as you wanted to previously. So we just have to be a little bit patient. I know I was on here last week saying, come on, let's sign some players. But sign some players! That's because I just love seeing it. I love the videos. I love the interviews. I love them holding up a picture. I really, really enjoy, you know, seeing new players come to Arsenal. But I think it's definitely going to happen for sure. I think the self-deprecation and apprehension is a loser mentality. I'm going to say it right now. We need to start looking at ourselves as a big club. If you want to see Arsenal and you want to demand us being title challengers, you go get Ben White for 45 million. Let's stop pretending to be champions and actually be champions. And, you know, when when I look at it, I think the KSC argument is probably a separate pod, but just knows I've been confident in us spending for well over, you know, three or four months. And it's not just because it's in the ether. I think there's a history of them doing it in a specific way. And I believe that, you know, purely from a business standpoint, the only quick thing I'll say is when you have an asset that you've pumped money in and it's still losing money, Either you sell because you believe you can never get your money back or you invest in order to have that asset come back. So it's purely from a business perspective, it makes sense to invest this summer purely from a business. But again, I'm ready to kind of face everybody at the end of the transfer window um, and we'll see where we're at because a, a lot of that is ether. But I hope people have seen the positive indicators that I keep talking about to show them that there is evidence there if you look close enough. 
I know we're afraid to see it and, you know, it's between, you know, fingers like this, but guys, we're there. So let's just see what they do and we'll uh, evaluate once the moves are made. All right, let's get into some questions, you guys. Go ahead and send your question in. We'll do like 10 minutes of, of those. Just make sure it's obvious so I know it's a question. Just put a cue in front of it or, hey, this is a question, something like that. But um, Alusala says, thoughts on replacing Lacazette with Andre Silva. What do you think about that, Harry? Mm, I mean... <laughs> you guys. Yeah. I wish Kelly was here to, to stick up for his boy. I don't think... We debated him. Set- <laughs> yeah, no... I- to keep to keep it short and sweet, um, I, I'm not convinced by that one. To be honest, um, I think if there is an elite elite striker out there, then we go and do it. But I think anything in between just isn't isn't worth the risk. Um, so yeah, that's a no for me. We have Martinelli, we have Aubameyang, uh, we have Balogun. I think we have the options there. So it's only if we can go out and buy a, an equivalent of an Aubameyang, is it worth it? Mm. Yeah, I mean. It's not like inspiring, it. is it? It's not. I did a whole profile on him, and I just thought, eh, if he he's a choice, you know. But eh, like you know, it's just eh, you know. What do you think, George? He's got a great personality. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it it doesn't fit. It has in terms of a profile, he lacks the pace over the first five yards. Um, again, I've tried to tell people, striker is the lowest thing on the totem pole of priorities, and uh, Falarian Balogun did not sign a contract in order to be benched or get a cameo appearance. Uh, I guarantee you that was made with first team appearance um, guarantees. And guys, we have our main striker. His name's Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. He's, he's ready to play for a majority of the games. So when, when I'm looking at, you know, replacements um, with Martinelli and Balogun, we have. Mm. That was short and sweet. No need to drag that out. All right. Matt G asks, is preseason long enough to to judge if we should keep Saliba or not, George. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Look, I've said why Saliba needed a loan last season, and it was a lot more to do with kind of personal factors, but also just physical qualities. Like the league had ended six months earlier. I don't think people understand he just wasn't fit, period. And I felt as though the team wasn't ready for somebody of his profile. We are clearly going to buy ourselves a team ready to support somebody like him. And I think a preseason, just like, you know, Falarian Balogun is going to be given a chance, so will Saliba. And if you're optimistic that Falarian Balogun is going to be given a chance in preseason, you have to carry the same energy for Saliba. So I, I really think they're in the same situation at this point, and preseason will let us know. Yeah, for sure. I think, like, we'll see what happens with preseason. Like, Arteta really hasn't had one, so... We'll see if that makes a difference, but this is a really good question from Yo-Yo, and I'm going to let Harry do this one because we know Harry and Yo-Yo are our best friends here. So do the panel have confidence that Arteta will adapt when players are injured or banned? Will he be able to find solutions to not let players become scapegoated like William Aubameyang and Hecky B? <laughs> Loaded. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> um, I mean, listen, I'm... I'm a fan of Arteta and I'm confident that he will adapt. It obviously depends on signings. We can't we can't fool ourselves and think we have an amazing squad or we've had an amazing squad previously. Like I just mentioned, uh, when party's out, we're bringing in El Nelly and Ceballos, both who aren't at the level to consistently perform in the Premier League, as they've shown over three over two, three seasons. Um, so I think if Arteta spends money in the right areas or the board spend money in the right areas, then I think... Um, 
I've got confidence in, in Arteta. Uh, I don't want to keep going back, but we underestimate the huge job that Arteta's had to had to do that, you know, the huge rebuild. And unfortunately, uh, performances on the pitch haven't been good enough, which is why we can ask these questions and which is why we can say, but we're eighth and whatnot. But off the pitch, there's been so many improvements. I understand for fans, that's not what they want to hear. But um, I, I feel like there's there's confidence that Arteta is the man to lead us forward. But like every manager, if you don't have the players to do it, it's going to be hard for you to do their job. So we'll have to wait and see. It's a good question from Arsenal Way. Um, this is something I really want to address too on this podcast because I haven't gotten a chance to, but do you think that we will sell all the deadwood at the club? We haven't shifted anyone on yet. And you guys, the window's been open for like five minutes. You know, like I think the reality is that like we have to understand how transfers work and like not saying that you don't, but like I think there's a lot of confusion around how long it can take to get a transfer done because everybody has to agree the player, the agent, the buying club and the selling club. And that's very difficult to do when you're in the midst of the Euros and players or clubs in Europe don't have money, they're skint. So just because we haven't moved anybody in the first or second week of the window doesn't mean things aren't happening. And I think we'll get rid of some, but definitely not all. Yeah, I agree. I think the market for squad players... Uh, it's, it's really, really low at the moment. I don't think the the fees you get for Inketia, for Ainsley Maitland-Niles are particularly high. Um, and I don't want to make, uh, I don't want to judge these players, but I get the sense that some of these players are relatively content at staying at Arsenal. So I wouldn't be surprised if a few of them just extend their contract and then we loan them out. I've lost count of how many times I've seen like Arsenal extend players' contract and then the next day it's, this player joins on loan. Like I've seen it so many times, so it really wouldn't surprise me. And just because Arteta might extend the contract of holding or, or Inketia doesn't mean he necessarily wants to keep him. It just means he's simply protecting uh, the investment, protecting the asset until until a, you know until the market becomes a good time to sell again. So uh, I, I'm not convinced, to be honest, we will sell all the deadwood at the club, uh, but that's just based on uh, the individual players rather than our our desire to want to sell them. That was my fear, really, that we wouldn't be able to do it. But again, in the la- in the last week and a half since we've done it, I've seen way more links, incredible links to outgoings than I've seen at the beginning of any window. And I really think that a Granite Shaka sale, a Hector Bellerin sale, when you look at the sales that we're trying to do, they're actually sellable assets. That's the key difference that I think that's been a little bit different from years gone by. I don't think maybe we'll do everything that we ideally want. We never will. But in terms of us being able to get money for players, we actually have sellable assets this year that there will be markets for. Ainsley Maitland-Niles has interest in the Premier League. You know, these are players that I think will be desirable. Um, You know, in terms of you talking about us extending the loans, we did that with Matteo Guendouzi. You know, we clearly extended his loan, but it wasn't because we see him as a huge part of the plans, but we're trying to increase the value that we're going to receive. So, look, we've done those things. I don't think that we're going to end up finishing everything, but I don't think we ever thought that this was a one transfer window problem. It was a three or four transfer window problem. And it's just nice to see us making the moves. Um, And I'm encouraged that we will get a lot of Deadwoods um, sold. All right. That's, yeah. We did a good job, you guys. I think we covered it. This awesome, awesome show, as usual. There's a lot of you guys asking about Basuma specifically and why he's not our number one target. And I did a show earlier, just a couple hours prior, about Kamavinga, and we cover extensively Basuma as well. The differences between the two and the reasonings why we're going after maybe another player before 
we go to Basuma, like pretty much why he's the second choice. So if you guys want to go ahead and check that out, I'm going to put it in the chat box now, the link for it. So when you guys leave there, you can go, you know, when you leave here, you can go there. But yeah, awesome show, you guys, as usual. Thank you guys so much for being here. There's 122 of you guys still watching. So thank you so much. And like the video and subscribe to the channel. You can follow George at George V underscore AFC. And for all of you guys asking about his podcast and where you can find him, Ball Over Passion. Just look that up on YouTube, Twitter, and you'll find him there. You can also fi find DJ Harry at It's DJ Harry. He's a real DJ. One day we're going to have him come on here. We're going to have an Arsenal party, make him DJ, and we're just going to dance and just do silliness. So look out for that. We'll sell tickets to that one, though. You guys can't come for free. But, oh, thanks, you guys. I try to be professional. I'm really not, though, you guys. I'm so unserious. And um, in just a couple of hours, I'll be doing a watch-along for the Copa America. So if you guys are still awake, you can join me for that. Who's that should be best? really fun. Um, Argentina and Paraguay, I believe. I have oh, so nice. many different. Yeah, Argentina and Paraguay. So that'll be in an hour or so, so you guys can watch me freak out about that and talk crap about the Argentina team because it's all about Brazil around here for me. But all right, you guys, we'll see you guys on the next one. Yeah, enjoy your afternoon slash night, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye, guys.